HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. The following program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery. Kane Vineyard and Winery supports Heritage Radio and the growing movement to change how Americans eat and how we think about our planet. For more information, visit www.kane5.com. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, for this half-hour journey through culinary history on Heritage Radio Network. And remember that you can log on to HeritageRadioNetwork.com at any time to hear this show or any of the other shows, which are all archived, or you can subscribe free at iTunes. You know, throughout history, there have been certain voices that have attracted listeners to teach them about food, about cooking, about what to eat. And it's true today as well, although there are many more avenues for those voices. We have, we have books, we have the internet, we have television. And these voices on the internet particularly are growing and, and getting louder and um, and are wonderful because we have a variety of opinions and a variety of experiences, and we can pick and choose what what we like, what we want to hear, and what we follow. One of these voices, in her own right, has done us all a wonderful service, and she's kind of gathered some of these people who have been influential to her together in a, an ebook and has interviewed them about what motivates them and how they and then mentions also how they've inspired her and as I say she's a voice in her own right because she is a real game changer changed careers and uh, just published wonderful modern books on Indian cooking and I'm talking about Monica Bide. Monica is a food writer and an author a blogger of um, uh, a life of spice thank you and Monica joins me here today for a discussion so I can have her in conversation. The name of her book is In Conversation with Exceptional Women. Monica, welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much for having me. Such an honor to speak with you. Well, the the book is is an absolute delight because you kind of get into the world of all these different voices, many of whom have been uh, people who have been guests on our show, and it's wonderful and. and course many of our listeners will know them from their blogs or from their posts and and from their books what made you decide to write about those who have influenced you very selfish (laughs) very selfish reasons i have to say um you know i was once reading uh something that said um motivation is like bathing it's recommended daily (laughs) or you sort of lose it And that's what was happening with me last year. You know, as you mentioned, I'm a career changer. I went from uh, being an engineer to being a food writer. And, you know, initially, the initial years were wonderful. And then all of a sudden, it was like somebody pulled the carpet out from under me because the publishing industry got turned on its head. It sure did. And, um, you know, here I was uh, struggling, trying to figure out, you know, what am I not doing right? What is it that I need to do? How do I approach this differently? And then I thought, well, you know, one of the things that, my family's always taught me is to learn from people who are doing it right. You know, there's so many people who are succeeding. And so I decided to turn my problem around and say, instead of complaining that I don't know what to do, I'm going to start doing something and talking with people who are very successful and saying, you know, hey, hey, let me learn from you. Tell me what it is that, that you're doing that's different. You know, what, are the, what is the difference that you're making that's making you successful? And I can tell you, I mean, I learned so much from these women. It's incredible. Well, and, and as well did I, just reading the stories that you called from them. And I jumped right into it because I knew you were on the other end of the phone and I didn't want you hanging there too long. Uh, but I wanted to, you to tell us a little bit. You, you just mentioned that you were an engineer, but tell us a little more about your background. You were born in New Delhi, correct? I was born in New Delhi. and I left New Delhi when I was about six years old. And I actually grew up in the Middle East in the be- on the beautiful island of Bahrain. Mm-hmm. And I was there for almost, I think I was 17, so I finished my schooling there. And then I have a very geeky background. I'm an engineer <laughs> um, in computer systems, and I have two masters in information systems technology. So it's as geeky as it gets, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly and, has. <laughs> um, you know, so I came to the States. I have my master's from here. And I worked for many, many large, wonderful companies like Ernst & Young and Hewitt Associates and all those wonderful places. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I used to have what, what we used to call the golden handcuffs job. You know, it paid really, really well. But it was not something that fed my soul. You know, I was doing all this work, and yet I kept feeling... I wasn't leaving a legacy behind for my kids. I felt like I hadn't done anything that I was proud of, nothing that, you know, I could show that I've done this on my own and I can, you know, stand on my own two feet with this. Right. And well, so well, I quit. And, you know? and your, well, I will say your geeky background has served you well because, you say, the publishing industry got turned on its head and you went from actual print books to making quite an impact on the Internet and through your blogs and, and website and, and now with an e-book. Um, and some of the people that you've interviewed, um, as I say, some have been guests on the show and others we all know from, from their writings, so like Paula Wolfert, Dana Cowan, Amanda Hesser, Alyssa Altman, Lynn Rosetto Casper, Dory Greenspan, Natalie Dupre, Ruth Reichel, Virginia Willis, Grace Young, Deborah Madison, Kim Severs. I, I could go on because how many are there? In all? Now, they're not all food writers, but the majority of them, I have to say, are food writers, correct? Is it- 
Isn't that an embarrassment of riches? Unbelievable. I'm just so happy. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear you read that list. <laughs> How many people did you interview altogether? 55. 55. You know, it was, it, and it's cute. Well, I'm going to talk about the, the questions you pose them because I have a couple to pose you as well um, to you. Um, but what, what was the common thread for you when you chose these people? So it's interesting. You know, if you look at the cover of the book, um, the flower on the cover of the book is the lotus. Mm-hmm. And the lotus um, is a flower that's really revered in the Eastern uh, cultures because the lotus signifies grace. And it signifies um, people who go through a difficult time and still bloom. You know, the lotus blooms in muddy waters. And at night, it closes. So if you take, you know, the night to be difficult time, you know, they may close and sort of gain their strength, but every morning it blooms again. You know, and I wanted to take people who signified to me that grace of just blooming through difficult times, and women who really shared their abundance. You know, I get very attracted to people who are very confident about what they're doing. They're not afraid to share their demons. They're not afraid to share their difficulties and how they learn from them. You know, so those are the kinds of people that I, I picked, and I think it was just instinctive picking. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd read their work, I'd seen them speak, and I thought, ooh, I want to talk to you, oh, I want to talk to you. It wasn't really as, um, you know, mechanical or, uh, or, you know, analytical as you may think. It was a very emotional response to a lot of people's writing that really attracted me to them. Well, that's the one thing that I love about you. I, I started out talking about voices that have attracted us. And there, there has to be something that is compelling for someone to follow it and read it. And you have, what it, I think what, well, what attracts me to your writing is, and if you will say compels me to read, is you always involve your work, you involve a personal story in your work. And, and making it personal like that, as you say, delving into the emotional, you know, people can identify with things like that, and they and I think it makes them follow further what you're going to write about. Tell me, did you meet in person with each of these people? Did you do some of the interviews? I mean, have you met everyone that you interviewed personally? I have not met everyone that I interviewed okay. personally, and I hope to someday. Some of the interviews were via phone, some were in person, um, you know, some were email because people were traveling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you used every medium that I could because my goal was to get the interview one way or another. That's right. And, you know, some of the folks uh, that are on that, that list, as wonderful as they are, getting access is quite difficult because Absolutely. they're just traveling. They're busy. Right. Um, and yet, you know, every single person I asked um, said yes. And to me, I think there was my biggest blessing right there when they said yes because uh, we're always afraid to, to stretch ourselves and to go do something different. You know, when I initially decided to do these interviews, the first thing, I, I'll never forget, the first thing I said to my husband was, who's going to want to talk to me? <laughs> and he just looked at me. He's like, you haven't even asked. <laughs> well, you know, you know I, but I'm you do. I'm very good at that. I'm very good at putting, you know, obstacles in my own way. So I had to prove to myself. Well, you underestimate yourself, too, because you have written several very good books. And in fact, the, um, the one just before this, Modern Spice, has, has gotten rave reviews and is very popular. So don't underestimate yourself, you see. <laughs> but I'm so good at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and not only that, but you've been, I mean, you've won awards and scholarship for Thank food you. writing at the uh, Symposium of Professional Food Writers. Um, and in fact, you teach 
classes, online classes in food writing, correct? I do. Yes, yeah. I do. Well, <laughs> you came up with some some fun questions. You, as you say, you do get people to open up, and amazing what some of them told you. And it's interesting in reading through the interviews, you really do get a sense of the style of how of these the different people how they write and mm-hmm. and their approach to food. I of course was most interested in the food writers. And some of the techniques you used were, you know, the uh let's go around the room and get to know you, you know, how do you motivate yourself and and that you've talked a lot about on your website and um that obviously was very important to you because you said you were in a, a period of time where you were kind of having a hard time getting going, right? Yep. And you asked everyone how they motivate themselves. A lot of different answers. Mm-hmm. That's a very inspiring answer. <laughs> Everything from paying the mortgage to uh, uh, the food on in the refrigerator, you know, <laughs> that motivates me. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what I learned from, from all of them after speaking with them and after sort of getting some time to digest the interviews, mm-hmm. uh, because it takes time to sort of, you hear it. But to actually internalize and to know what they're saying takes time, which is why I always recommend people read these interviews one at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of read it and go away and then come back and reflect on it. And what I learned from every single woman, at the end of the day, they were all saying the same thing. It's that, you know, you are responsible for your own happiness. That's right. You know, you're responsible if you're miserable. You're responsible if you're happy. And everybody, you know, we all have the issues of, you know, the, the bill is due. This happened. That happened. So-and-so got sick. I fell ill. All of this stuff. But, you know, every single person in that book has had the same issues. That's right. And at the end and, of the day, they have to choose what they're going to do to, to exactly. resolve them, and right? And they're blooming. They're mm-hmm. still blooming. You know, Dana Cohen, who I admire so much, the editor-in-chief at Food & Wine, yeah. is uh, recovering from breast cancer. You know, and you you meet her, you speak with her, one of the most vibrant, inspiring women you will ever meet. So, you know, no one can say to me, oh, you know, she's she's doing so well because she's had an easy life. Absolutely yeah. not. Right, right. You know, and she's just, she's made the most of what she has, and, and she blossoms. It's amazing. That's right. Um, you also kind of make them make them smile. You, you have a wonderful way in your interview, but you ask uh, the serious. And then, of course, you also kind of ask the lighthearted and fun, um, like, uh, what do you reach for in the, if you're in the mood for a snack in the middle of the night? <laughs> I can tell a lot about people, I suppose, right? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's part of it is, um, I think when you're reading an interview, if it's really serious, at least to me, after some time, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm bored, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm overwhelmed. But if you make the person real, you know, if you, if you do say that, you know, even someone as gorgeous and amazing as Padmalakshmi reaches out yes. for a potato <laughs> chip every now and then, um, it makes them real people. That's right, it does. You know, that's what I feel. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, you mentioned something um, a little earlier. Um, about how you you had this wonderful job and uh, the golden parachute and everything, and you but you you quit. It just wasn't making you happy, and that was one of the the wonderful questions you asked as well. How do you define success? And I think the answers were pretty uniform across the board. They were, and you know, um, I have to say that even when I put my engineering brain on and analyzed the data. Their answers surprised me. They were, so, they were so obvious, and yet when people said, 
you know, what success means to me is to be happy in what I'm doing. Right. The number of people who use the word joy for their work is unbelievable. I mean, just saying, I'm so joyful in what I'm doing. Where When you look at it from the outside, you're like, wow, you know, success means that, you know, she just got a $6 million book deal, or she's on TV, or, you know, she just, she just got, I don't know, whatever your definition of success is. You know, she's the editor-in-chief of the, the leading food magazine in the world. She's this, she's that. Nothing. Not one of them went there. Right. Every one of them said, when I wake up in the morning and I'm doing what I love and it's bringing joy to the people around me, that's success. That's right. I mean, well, it's huge if you think about the impact of that statement. It is. I mean, you you know, you can't, you have to do it day in, day out. You'd better be happy at it. You uh, better be happy. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, I'm very happy right now doing what I'm doing and talking to you, and I'm going to continue talking to you, and especially about the writing that you do, the food writing you do, when we come back after a short break. So stay with us. We are back, and I'm talking with the food writer Monica Bide and the author of Modern Spice and In Conversation with Exceptional Women. We've just been talking about all these exceptional women and, and who've motivated her and inspired her and how they got their motivation. And I'm going to put some of those questions to you later on when we, when we conclude here. But, Monica, I wanted to talk about Modern Spice and, and your food writing. Obviously, you have the, this wonderful cultural background to to write about in food and that's indian cooking and you talked about in modern spice um about authenticity and what is authenticity and we talk about that in the food world and conversations that comes up especially in culinary history that comes up very often um because your your recipes in modern spice are not they're not old recipes they're new recipes and modern recipes are they authentic that's an excellent question, and um, the topic of, of, of about authenticity actually is one of my favorite things to talk about. Because if you if I wasn't passionate about what we just talked about, I'm really passionate about this. <laughs> you know, it's, this woman's it's got a lot of passion. When I first moved to the states uh, twenty or so years ago, I was in grad school, and the students got together and said to me, um, you know, a whole bunch of students from all around the world got together and said, "Listen, can you make us an authentic Indian meal?" So I did. I put together some, you know, some lovely chicken curry that I'd learned from my mom and some rice and this and that and lovely meal and put it on the table. Everybody ate it. And then the dessert was, uh, I think it was a custard and jelly and something uh, with some cake. And they ate it and they said, oh, how interesting that you didn't pick a traditional, authentic Indian dessert. 
Hmm. And I thought, well, what do you mean? I learned how to make this from my grandmother. <laughs> you know, and maybe it's what the Britishers left behind when they left the whole custard jelly thing. That's right. But, uh, but you know, authenticity, in my mind, is always evolving. That's right. Um, you know, I, I, I spoke a long time ago at the French embassy about authentic Indian food, and I was talking about a particular fish curry from the eastern part of India, and I said something about garlic in the recipe. And after the conversation was finished, this woman came up to me and literally started yelling at me for spreading, you know, false, uh, false information and myths about Indian food because no one in their right mind would use garlic in that dish. Hmm. And I thought, well, yes, but what makes your contention any more authentic than what I'm saying. And what because flavors do you like that you would like to include in this authentic dish? <laughs> exactly. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's what my father says. You know, there's an old, old Indian saying that says, um, Aam khao what that means is, eat your mango, don't worry so much about which tree it came from. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> well, I mean, your work has appeared in so many different um, magazines and publications, and you also contribute to NPR's Kitchen Window, and you just had a, a wonderful article, which was ravingly popular the other day, on uh, traveling, what is it, uh, traveling the world with uh, flavors? With, with seasonings, yes. With seasonings, with yeah. seasonings. And that was wonderful, because they, although they seem like a lot of the, um, and a couple of them are more or less authentic, seasoning combinations, harissa and uh, the berber, but you take little, I don't want to say liberties, because that they, they are authentic in your own right. You, but you, you ex- sort of make them your own and modernize them a bit. I think, don't you think that's how people cook anyway? Yes, I do. You know, see, that's the thing. I think what I try to do with my stories on NPR is to get people to just be a little bit more adventurous. You know, when you hang out with a lot of food writers... You know, Dora Watt and Harissa and all this stuff seems like so mundane. But when you hang out with my regular friends, you know, they're like, what is that thing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I try to take um, ingredients that may seem exotic or different and, and just try to make them a little bit more friendly, mm-hmm. a little bit more appealing. And sometimes, you know, that may mean that I strip one or two things here and there just to try to make it a little bit less intimidating. Right. Uh, but it doesn't mean that it's any less it's not good or it's any less exciting. Um, you know, I learned this lesson early on when I started writing about food. One of the first things um, I had written was, I used to write a lot of free stuff online, which meant that people from all around the world were reading it. And I remember every single time I would, I would write a little story and recipe, somebody would write and say, I tried your recipe because I identified with your story. There you go, yeah. You know, I, I, I wouldn't have tried it otherwise, because everything seems so difficult. But when I read what you did, and I thought, wow, if she can do it, why can't I do it? That's right. It's that personal again, you know? Making it personal just makes it, you know, scream out to people, call out to them, and make them want to read it and, and use it. But you do say, and it has been said about you, and particularly in this book, that um, that you are respectful of the techniques and the history of the cuisine, but you are so eager to experiment. And I think sometimes we do get so tied into some way of of serving or making something because it's traditional, because that's the way it was always done. And in fact, you tell a very cute story about the 100-year-old grandmother and the ham. Can you you quickly 
tell our listeners about that? Uh, yeah, so there was this, um, I'm going to try to remember exactly what I said. It was <laughs> so long like, I'll ago. I'll try to help you out uh, if I remember. But uh, this woman um, makes, you know, ham for her husband, and she always does it the way his mother, I believe, taught her. And he likes it, but one day he says to her, he says, um, honey, you know, you make this ham, but the ending of the ham is my favorite part. Why do you always cut it? And she was like, well, that's the way I learned how to make it from your family. So they decide to trace down where the recipe came from, and they go to the person who originally came up with that idea, and they said, you know, we love your recipe and everything is great, but why do you cut the end off? And they're looking at her like she's going to give them the great explanation, and she looks at them and says, well, because I never had a pan big enough. <laughs> you know? So there's authentic, and then there's authentic. That's right. <laughs> oh, so you experiment a little Life bit. always intervenes in authentic. <laughs> That's great, yeah. And not only that, but we have... You know, we we have such modern methods of of making things too. I mean, I don't think we would want to go back to many of the original, authentic, traditional ways of pounding all the spices and uh, making you know our own bread all the time. It's fun to do it occasionally, but you know, when you got to get food on the table at six o'clock, you don't want to go through all those painstaking t- steps. Absolutely, and I think what happens is, and I found this again and again, you know. Uh, if people try a little bit of something and the taste appeals to them, then they're less afraid to experiment and they may go more towards the authentic and then they may try more, uh, you know, things from that cuisine and it just all of a sudden opens up your world so much. That's right, it does. Well, and we're talking about, um, specifically, about um, her, the book Modern Spice. And you had, actually, um, you called or, or excerpted a, an essay from that that was... Um, that won the best food writing in 2009 called What is Real Cooking? And mm-hmm. what, what was that essentially, that essay that you drew from the book? So um, I believe that was the essay about watching my friend cook. And this is a friend of mine who is a, uh, who's an investment banker, very successful, very brilliant. And, you know, it's always said that she's not a real cook because she doesn't cook the big gourmet meals. <laughs> And I remember sitting in her kitchen, you know, it was the initial meeting, we were just getting to be friends, and the whole essay is about me watching her cook a very simple meal that was possibly one of the best meals that I've ever had. And through the entire meal, she kept apologizing because she was not a real cook. And it really raises the question of what is real cooking, Mm -hmm. you know, and what is real food. And to me, anything that's prepared with love and that's intended to nurture the people that it's being prepared for, is real cooking. Oh, that's uh, that's so true, and uh, it's so nice to hear you say that. Someone who's, you know, writes recipes, develops recipes, and and publishes recipes because other people might think or feel intimidated that their food, as you say, and you know, their food isn't real cooking. Well, everyone who is in the book in conversation with exceptional women, and, and I wanted to talk, ask you this too. This is another thing: is you have here again as your engineering background in in computer uh-huh. sciences you decided to do this as an ebook mm-hmm. now why did you i mean obviously this is there's been a lot in the business section over the past couple months about you know amazon is the new publisher and and ebooks you know coming out and not even going to print book what was your decision to do this um, why did, i think what, it was sort of a natural transition uh with the project so what happened was when i first started interviewing these women well, first I thought nobody would talk to me. And yeah. then when they did decide to speak with me, they were originally Q&As for my blog. 
So after I got some, I think I did maybe about 15 or 20 for the blog, the response was so phenomenal that I thought, well, maybe I should do more and then just put them all in a book. But it, it just seemed like this was the right medium to get it out. I mean, the book is very inexpensive. It's four ninety nine. You know, you can't get better information uh, for such less money. Uh, publishing does take a lot of time, you know, to go through that process and get the book out there. The this time, just seemed yeah. like the natural flow to get, you know, from the Q&A online to just do an online book. To me, it just seemed like a natural flow. So what was the timeline on that? How long did it take? It took me a good four months mm-hmm. um, between the interviews and hiring a copy editor to check the copy, doing the cover design, uh, you know, getting a company to get all the um, uh, all the, st- the formatting and all of that done so that the book can be, you know, purchased via Nuke or Kindle or all the different formats. Uh, that take, it's very time consuming. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't know what you're doing with HTML, you're in big trouble. I don't know what I'm doing with HTML, so I decided to hire somebody who actually knew what they were doing. <laughs> right. um, but it's, it's like real publishing. I mean, you know, in terms of uh, the copy editing, the proofreading, the cover, um, you know, getting the people to put together the book for you, and then putting together a marketing plan. I mean, it's all the same thing, except mm-hmm. I didn't get paid, a, you know, I did not get paid a big fat advance yeah. to do this. But you did get it out to people in, a, in a, a relatively short period of time compared to print, which is, you know, is remarkable. That's great. And uh, it's, it's excellent. You know, you know, the thing is, what is success, right? So what does success mean to me with this book? Success means to me when the book came out, the, the 10 women that I'm really good friends with and we have our own book club picked it as their book club read. Oh. <laughs> to me, that's, that's more success than I could that's ever wonderful. imagine. Well, I have a couple of other questions. That was one of the questions you asked all your interviewees. I have a couple other questions you asked that I'm going to put to you. Okay. okay. One of them is, okay, so... What motivates you? A quick, the quick, the short answer. Um, I think what motivates me is just remembering how much I love to write. And when I get to that place, I feel like I'm in heaven, and then I don't need any motivation anymore. Okay, and what do you reach for when you're in the mood for a midnight snack? Nutella. Uh, I think I keep that company in business. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> I love that, too. <laughs> One fact about you that would surprise people. Um, I worked as a beautician once for three months. Oh. <laughs> I was terrible great. at it, but I tried it. <laughs> That's great. And finally, what are three pieces of advice that you would give to new food writers? Um, number one, there's, there's no magic key. There's nothing anybody's hiding. Every single one of these women had the same advice. I have the same advice. Sit your butt down in the chair and write. <laughs> Number two, read, 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 read. Number three, when you're motivated and looking for advice, read the first two rules. <laughs> Great. I love it. That's terrific. Well, Monica Vita, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and I wish you continued motivation and inspiration and can't wait to, to, to see what you come up with next. And listeners can follow you on your blog, A Life of Spice as well as read Modern Spice and your, some of your other books. But I encourage people to take a look at In Conversation with Exceptional Women because it's written by an exceptional woman. Thank you for listening, and thank you for joining me, Monica. This thank has you. been A Taste of the Past, and please join us again. Thank you so much.
Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.